All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another week of Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Monday, May 15th of 2023 here. Uh, first stream after the weekend. We do this show Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern. So I always love our Monday shows. A lot of questions come in over the weekend, so that keeps us pretty busy here. Uh, looking ahead, we got a 10-game MLB main slate today. We have uh, no NBA games until tomorrow. We are like officially kind of entering um, NBA showdown season here with the conference finals taking place here. So usually like one game per day. So it should be a lot of NBA showdown action. And then we have a one game NHL showdown, but we also have the go- another golf major this week with the PGA championship. So it should be a lot of fun talking about that ahead of Thursday's tee off here. But for those of you who are new here, welcome. My name is Andrew, one of the coaches over here at Saber Sims, a show where we go over how to use the Saber Sim app, answer any and all DFS related questions. You can post questions live in the YouTube chat or in the Office Hours channel in our Discord server. If you're not in our Discord, there's a link in the description below to get joined up. I highly recommend it as always. A lot of good DFS conversation happening over there each and every day. But uh, let's get the Saber Sim app pulled up here. I have one question that came in from support, and then we will jump over to the Discord, and then we will jump over to any live YouTube chat questions that come in. So first question to get us started today is, hello, how many low-owned stacks should I have in my lineups, 20 entries, and 150 max? Uh, so, So not a wrong or right answer to this question. Also just depends on... Um, slate context here and and really uh you know how many games are on the slate who's on the slate all of this is going to change right saber sim is going to be able to take all of this information um manage it all and then give you what it perceives to be are the best lineups for this particular slate context here so that's the great part about using an optimizer like saber sim uh, able to analyze all of this data and give you something useful on the other side after you run your builds, right? So it is really in the post build where I would be looking to do any of my own work to kind of help the builder uh, get me to the lineups that I want to get it to, right? Or do some risk management here. Like for instance, right off the bat, um, we're getting 75% of this number seven hitter from Arizona probably just grades out really well here, but, but probably don't want that much of any individual hitter, especially um, a, a low salary hitter, uh, be it as it may here, uh, kind of towards the bottom of the lineup. So it looks like we like Arizona in general here. Our top four exposures of our first 20 lineups that we're seeing here are all Arizona, uh, three batters and one pitcher here. But but right off the bat, what, what I would do is probably just increase my mini uniques to maybe about half of the number in my lineups here brings some of that exposure down here from 75% to 50% and lower. And then, and then we can make any adjustments from here. Right. And then we can kind of figure out what we want to do from here. But I think increasing the mini uniques just to start uh, just to, just to create a new kind of baseline here is probably where I would start. And then I would go over to, to, um, to some of these other tabs here. So we talk about like a right to left approach here, starting with mini uniques, jumping to stack types, making sure you're seeing the stacks that you kind of want. And then you kind of get into the team stacks, right? Which is, which is what the question was, was about to start with, but I kind of wanted to give some of these precursor items here as well. Uh, as, as far as, you know, figuring out what stacks 
uh, you you kind of perceive to be low owned. A uh, couple different ways you can do that here, right? Uh, one way is on the home screen. You can go to team stacks. You can sort by projected runs and then just kind of note, uh, you know, who are like the highest team uh, implied run team totals here. So like I would be probably be making a note of any team that's like over five implied runs here. And then um, you could just keep that handy. And then you could also uh, kind of note some of these teams that are coming up more frequently that, that are not at that threshold, right? And then something that I personally like to do is I like to try and find an estimated stack ownership. So I'll, I'll look at like these, these teams that we're talking about over five implied runs. And then what I would do is I would just filter for that team using the filter icon. I will go to all batters. And then I will sort um, by by order here, so I can see you know one through nine or or nine through one here. But I can just look at the at the bottom part of this question here, and I'll I'll get rid of the question so you can see this as well. And then I'll just kind of look at at the ownerships here and, and try to come up with a number that that is directionally accurate here, right? So we're seeing nineteen percent India, twenty nine percent Fraley, twenty two percent Steer, eighteen percent Stevenson. Uh, 8% Senzel, 11% Ramos, 16% Will Myers here, even with their number nine here coming in at 20% here, right? So, so I think it's, I think it's fine to say like, okay, you know, I could expect this team to be like 20 ish percent owned as, as a stack here, right? Just kind of eyeballing this. And uh, I think that'll, that'll get you closer to just to give you a number. So like when you, when you go into your post build and you see that you have up uh, 20% Cincinnati stacks, you kind of understand like, okay, um, maybe, maybe I'm not as leveraged on Cincinnati as, as it might appear to be here. I'm actually just, I don't know why my screen is glitching. Um, I'm actually just closer to the field, you know, even though Cincinnati is my second highest on stack here, I actually have probably much more leverage to Arizona here, which, which you might be able to figure out intuitively, but just having that marker can, can be useful, I think. So um, just to, to kind of come full circle here, uh, not, not a perfect answer as to how many low owned stacks you should have. Uh, I think that Saberson does a good job of diversifying here. So it's really kind of getting to these two teams that it really likes in, in uh, Arizona, Cincinnati likes it a little more than the field, uh, not as much as Arizona. And then, you know, you kind of get this big spread down here, right? Uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams where we have one stack of them in our 20 lineups here uh, with some twos and threes kind of mixing it up here. But the mini uniques is going to help you get to a more spread out uh, array of teams here. So I would, I would take advantage of that and um, you know, also like be checking uh, some of these stack exposures, how far down I'm going in my pool, uh, how many, what, what exposures I have to individual batters. Do I not want to have exposure to any individual batter over a certain threshold? Right. I think, 50% would probably be the max for me here. And, and I'm even open to um, lowering this for any individual batter here, uh, just because when you click on their name and you see their range of outcomes, you know, their, their highest scores are usually the, the um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? The points that they score in the sim most often is going to be, you know, zero or less than five here. And then you have this big tail event to the right here, right? So um, owning these players at, at a high rate is, it comes with a lot of variance, right? That's what we try to capture with this adjusted ownership. What adjusted ownership is doing is looking at this player's range of outcomes and then 
artificially inflating or deflating that ownership to because we are negatively weighting ownership in our Sabre score metrics here. And what it is doing is telling the builder, hey, you know, this this player might not get to this mean projection as often as it might seem. So be careful putting this player in too many lineups here. And I think the best example right off the bat here is Jake Fraley, 29% ownership in your contests, but our adjusted ownership is saying, hey, he's he's a lot more variant than what you might think. You know, this projection of 12 that is his mean projection is prop he's getting to that number about eight percent of the time here, right? And then all of these events where are actually more likely where that are under 12 points in the Sims. So uh, I think adjusted ownership does a very good job of capturing that variance here, uh, but but not a wrong or right answer to this question. Handle it kind of on a uh, slate by slate basis here, but let let Saber Sim kind of guide you along the way. All right, jumping over to the Discord here. Uh, question from J Sam's Jr. and it looks like J Sam's Jr. is here. Uh, how how are you doing, John? All right, question says, can you walk through how to make a rule when you create a lineup? And also, how to know if that rule you implemented will show up in the Sims when you run them? Okay, so I think the easiest way to answer this question is probably with like a stacking rule. So what I would do is if I wanted to set a rule where it said, you know, stack at least three player or let's say let's say five, right? Stack at least five players from the same team. It doesn't matter which team. All teams are checked here. Um, and then just going to save this rule. As long as this rule is checked on your lineup rules here, it is active. It is not checked, then it is not active. So then what I would do is I would run a build here. And then when I would get to the post build, I would go into my team stacks or even my, my stack types rather. And then I should have a five stack for every single lineup that is generated. And then that is how I would know that the rule is working here. So going to let these lineups finish up. Uh, just note that when you do use rules, uh, might slow down the builder a little bit here. Lineups still printish, finished pretty quickly here. But once I'm in this screen, go over to my stack types. And you can see that I have three stacks that were built. And they're all five stacks. Five threes, five twos, and uh, five one, one, one stacks here, right? So what, what you see in the post build is basically a uh, summary of whatever was generated. So we don't see any four stacks or three stacks. That's because none were made in this pool. So sometimes something that'll come up, especially on like a, maybe like a little bit of a smaller slate is people come to the post pool like, Hey, you know, I don't see these teams or this team in, in, in any team stacks. It's like, that's because they they weren't generated in any of the lineups that were built when we randomly sampled the Sims. So there were actually no lineups with that team. Happens rarely, but I have seen it happen. And, and um, it's not that, you know, we weren't accounting for that team. It's just no lineups were generated with that specific team. So just something to note there. But that is how you do it. And Jay Sam Jr. says, smash that like button, please. I, I would appreciate it. All right. Uh, next question here from Bill's Nut. I think this is a good question. All right. Question says, I'm confused after watching two recent videos in Jordan's recent MLB process video. He curated stack types he wanted for the slate size pre-build yet in the MLB round table video you just did. It sounded as if curating stack types was discouraged pre-build. I tend to favor it. What is your recommendation? If you recommend curating stack types pre-build, which stack types do you do you recommend for different slate sizes. Also, when building 5,000 lineups, what is the lowest rank from that pool? That would include 
that you would include in your final lineups. Okay, so two questions here. Um, one of these questions refers to a recent pro video that we that we just released on Friday. It was a little bit different of a video here. Uh, it was a video with Jordan Scott and I, and basically Jordan would present a um, aspect of a DFS lineup here, and we would have to grade it on a scale of one to five. So some of the um, discussion points were like aggregating projections, aggregating ownership, uh, creating stacking rules, creating player groups, uh, researching weather, and, and and different things along those lines related to an MLB process here. Uh, video got a lot of positive response, so glad people liked that uh, content. It was, it was a little different for us here, a little bit different format, but um, definitely open to trying new things. So if you guys didn't see that, uh, get, that's a great reason to be on the pro plan, you know, these pro-exclusive videos where we are challenging uh, DFS theory, challenging each other, talking about the ins and outs of different concepts here. So uh, I, I've watched both videos, so I, I'm familiar with both of them. Basically, in the MLB process video that Jordan did, he came in here and he came to stack types and then he just checked in the ones that he wanted to see. So he's basically saying, hey, I, I want at least a four stack here. So then he will just uh, filter for, for those here. That way, the other type of stacks don't even show up in his build here. And and we did this on the stream. And basically what happened was you, you would lose about um let's say let's say that you didn't check these uh check or uncheck anything, right? About one to two percent of the lineups in the pool that we ran on that show uh included a three stack or less. So then if you just zero those out, you would lose about uh one to two percent of available lineups in your pool, not super detrimental to your number of lineups is if you're trying to get super diverse or anything. Uh, but you know, you can, you can get those lineups back by having some type of, uh, input on, on stack types, unchecking stacks, or having some type of stack rule that, um, limits what stacks can come up. I, I would say that the biggest reason I I'm kind of against that is because I see users, um, m- maybe go like a little too far with this, uh, specific thing. So what Jordan did is he said, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't want any three stacks or less. So he's kind of putting a, putting a rule that is, uh, basically saying, give me any four stack or above. I think that's fine. That's, he's just kind of trying to push the builder in the direction that he specifically wants to go. I think where users run into trouble here is that they'll, they'll be super specific and say like, okay, you know, I, I only want a four, four, or a 5-2 because um, 5-2s have been winning and uh, I always want that one-off that has good ability to to hit a home run. I think it's like uh, when you go kind of too far with this rule where you can really start to limit the builder and then you have a lot of trouble getting to builds. And then from, from this screen, right, from this stack types, then players go to team stacks and they're like, okay, you know, I only want four stacks or five stacks, but then I only want, you know, these teams as five stacks. And then I only want these teams as, as four stacks. Right. And then um, it, it just kind of, kind of opens Pandora's box a little bit to me. And I think that players can just get a little too crazy with, with some of the things that they're requesting pre-build. And I, I would rather see users handle that in the post build after the builder has generated these SIMs. So, so for me, um, the, the way I kind of see it is like uh, one step down like a rabbit hole that that can be detrimental to users who aren't doing it very 
intentionally or very specifically here. And I would just prefer to kind of stay away from that, um, from that path here. I think that the exact same thing happened for, for me specifically, where I said that I like to make adjustments to minimax exposures in the post build. And I graded that highly. And then I gave an example of what I do it. And then Scott told me like, okay, you're the, you're the way you do it is, is the exception to the rule. Not, not the, not the, um, like ground base level, uh, explanation for doing it. And I think that doing adjustments to stack types in the home screen, the way Jordan did it is almost that exact same thing where that is the exception to the rule rather than why you should do it to start with. So I prefer to advise people to do it in the post build, but there are definitely cases where you can do it successfully in the pre-build. I just think that it is a, um, can be, can be a little worse if, if you're not doing it correctly there. And then second question here was, uh, when building 5,000 lineups, what is the lowest rank from the pool that you would include in your final lineups? And, uh, this is a good question. So, so for me, what I, what I like to do is, you know, I think there's always a balance between min uniques and your, your sorting metric here, right? You should want to, um, way your way your sorting metric right what your sorting metric is trying to do is bring the top approximate highest ev lineups up in your pool and give you those to play right so if you are uh going super far down in your pool all the time kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel here with your lineups you you are essentially avoiding or not playing those lineups that Saber Sim said are better from all the lineups that were generated when it grades them, right? So I think that there's a balance there between uh, striking a balance between what you want, uh, your min uniques, your uh, team stacks, et cetera, and, and figuring out what is the best balance of all those things when figuring out what lineups you want to play here, right? So so the biggest, the easiest example for me is like, let's say that, you know, I'm, I'm increasing my min uniques as high as I can here. And it looks like eight is the highest I can go. And then let's say you're using eight min uniques, but then let's say, you know, you're also putting in some, some min and max exposures here. And then all of a sudden the bottom lineups in your pool are out of 500. It's 500, 499, 494, 488. Like you, you start to scrape the bottom of the barrel here. Uh, when I see that, I know that that's a direct effect of what I have done with the minimax exposures, with mini uniques, with stack types, with whatever here, right? Um, it's not that the builder wants to give me those lineups, it's that those are the only lineups that are now meeting the criteria that I have put on the builder. So from there, what I would prefer to do is walk some of those restrictions back a little bit and see if I can get to some higher ranked lineups in my pool. So going from eight mini uniques where I was seeing lineup like 465, to going to mini uniques of seven now brings me back to lineup 221 as opposed to my lineup, my lowest lineup in the pool being 465. So, so just one mini unique adjustment here brings me back to the top 50% of lineups in my pool. So I would be much happier with this. Still not seeing any team stack over 25% here. So I, I feel very comfortable with like a mini unique of seven here as opposed to a mini unique of eight. But if you ask Jordan, you know, he would probably say a mini unique of eight is perfectly fine for him, right? So um, I think 
part of that comes from like some of the curation that he does in the post in the pre-build, knowing that the type of stacks that he doesn't want to see aren't going to be generated. So I think that, you know, when, when you're doing something like that, when you're curating in the pre-build to make sure that you're comfortable with every lineup that gets shown, uh, I think that that might be a reason to be okay going deeper into the pool. But me personally not making any of those adjustments, I like to try and play lineups toward the top of my pool more often than not. All right. Um, this is a good question here from Cloak Mistborn. It looked like there was a little back and forth with Matt and um, Shady Advice here. So I just want to uh, answer this for everybody listening. He said, how do custom projections influence Sim Diversity 10? and the sim optimals here. So so good question here. So basically what happens with custom projections specifically is that if we go and look at any individual player here, let's pull up our highest projected pitcher, uh Merrill Kelly here, right? Uh so Merrill Kelly's mean projection is 17.8. Let's say that you uh upload custom projections or even just adjust his projection in the my projection column here. And let's say you move it up three points. So basically what's going to happen is we have his distribution here. We are going to shift the entire distribution based on the absolute value that you input here. So if you move him up three points, every time he scores 20, now he scores 23. Every time he scores 40, now he scores 43. So you're increasing the floor and increasing the ceiling of this player as well as their mean projection here. So um, we are basically putting your custom projections on top of our distributions for the player. That way you get to take advantage of the player distributions that we generate in the Sims, but you also get to use your new mean projection when, um, when, when also getting access to that range of outcomes here. So what happens with Sim Optimals is that we are still going to randomly sample um, a single game sim for like MLB Showdown, for example. But then at the end of that outcome, we are going to apply your custom projections. And then if that combination of players shows up, uh, we're basically going to do that every time we sim the game. So let's say we're building 500 lineups. Every At the end of every game sim, we're going to apply the adjustments based on your custom projections. And then we're going to generate the highest scoring lineup or the optimal lineup for that game sim. Uh, after those custom projections are applied. And then from there, what Sim Optimals is doing is it is just counting how many times the same combination of players shows up at the end of the lineup being created. So uh, we apply your custom projections and then we build the lineup and then we just count how many times the same combination of players showed up. And then that is now your new Sim Optimals. But um as far as, you know, anything else, it, it there's nothing else really happening there. Uh, we are still, you know, the, the, the sim database exists, and then we are just pulling from that uh, the entire time. So that is all that is happening there. But I thought that point was definitely worth clarifying. And uh, good question, Cloaked Miss Morn. All right. Uh, next question in the Discord here. Question says, my question today is, can you please help me understand how to develop a repeatable process? I am struggling with understanding what stacks to go overweight on and underweight on playing the nickel contest on FanDuel. Okay, so yeah, happy to talk about this. Uh, I think that the best thing that you can do to create a repeatable process is to write the process down and to do every step of your process every single day. So I think that's something that I, I used to do is, you know, I, I would kind of have a process and then what happens is, you know, you can, you continue to learn, you continue to try new things, you find new things that you like, 
and uh, some things that you used to do kind of get lost along the way, even if those things were were good, even if those things were uh, helping you add value to your lineups, you might just forget, uh, you know, uh, it just gets so repeatable. You're, you're thinking about all these new concepts, right? The best thing that you can do is just write your process down on a, on a piece of paper, on a word doc, and just go through it line by line. This is an exercise that Andy actually had me do. Uh, he had, had Jordan and I do it where we just wrote down our process. And then, uh, we had to basically justify why we were doing each step of our process. And it actually helped me to figure out, you know, what pieces were important, what pieces were just noise. Uh, you know, why was I doing them? Was, was, was there a strong case for doing it versus for not doing it? And then I was able to figure out, okay, you know, I could probably get rid of these couple pieces, not adding a ton of value. Uh, these pieces really need to stay. And then as new things come along, I could figure out where it fits into that process. And I can basically hold myself accountable. Like I'm doing these steps every single day. These are why I'm doing them. And then as time goes on, I can figure out what, what aspects are not working, which aspects are working. I can add to this document here, right? So just a couple bullet points, nothing too crazy here, but I think just having something to hold you accountable, uh, holding yourself accountable in some way, and then that will help you to figure out uh, if if you can create a winning process and if you can continue to do it, right? So I think that, you know, if, if you don't have a way to replicate this process, is it really a process, right? Or are you just kind of doing something different every day, getting lucky every once in a while here? So I think uh, having some form of accountability is really important and, and you can make adjustments from there. All right, last question in the Discord. Then we're going to jump over to the YouTube chat. Looks like we have a healthy amount of questions in the YouTube chat, so it should keep us busy for quite a bit longer here. A uh, question from Kyle G. said, I'm starting to dip my feet into some MLB showdown slates. I would like to add to my current process. I currently build sims, make sure there aren't any relief pitchers in the captain spot, make sure the relief pitchers in the utility spot haven't pitched in the last day, and then finally filter by Mean. What else do you recommend or think could be added to this process. Okay. Really good question here. Um, first off, I just, you know, for anybody watching, I uh, just want to point everybody to this video over on our YouTube channel. So if you go to uh, playlists, you go to how to beat MLB DFS in 2023, which is one of the first videos that pops up here. Uh, Jordan did this video recently. Uh, it says, uh, learn the secret to beating MLB showdown contests in 2023. I think this is a great start for anybody who is new to MLB showdown, who wants to start learning about MLB showdown here. And then what you can also do is go over to the homepage and then in the search bar, just type MLB showdown. We have older videos, which I still think are good videos here. And then we also have some segments from office hours where you can jump into these videos and then listen to the sound bites in the description um, of where we talked about MLB showdown here. So we also have some older videos, uh, longer videos here. I think that, you know, all of these videos, just because they're older does not mean that there's not good information and data in these. I think that they can actually get kind of lost along the way, even if, uh, you know, I, I don't think DFS is changing enough season to season where some of the concepts talked about in these videos are no longer relevant. I think they are still relevant, but I think because it's a new MLB season, uh, people will discount some of the information in them. And I, I think that's probably a, a bad thing uh, rather than a good thing here. So just, just some uh, general notes on MLB showdown uh, before we get into this here. But I would say uh, relief pitchers are, are probably a good 
ought to start, probably something that a lot of people aren't looking at. I think the main reason is because when you pull up like the DraftKings app on your phone, I haven't done this in a while, but it used to be like this, where it would it would only show players who are projected to be in the lineup. So you see the two starting pitchers, you would see batters one through nine from each team, right? But you but you would have to toggle that button off to go and see the relief pitchers. So I think for anybody kind of hand-building MLB showdown lineups, it's pretty hard to get to relief pitchers. And then, um, you know, it'd be pretty hard to figure out who to to roster, right? So I think a great place to start from there is um, MLB, uh, what is the website here? Uh, baseballpress.com has a bullpen usage page. You can find it at baseballpress.com forward slash bullpen dash usage where it'll show you uh, the bullpen players for each team and it'll show you how many pitches they threw in each of the last five days here. So I think that's a great place to start here. Um, aside from relief pitchers, aside from GL mean here, I think that one thing that you could probably do is, um, let's just like pull up a slate here. So we had this, uh, Washington Mets game kicking off pretty early here today. I would say that, you know, listen to the builder as far as what type of stacks you want to go with. But I think that, you know, you could probably do something interesting with mixing up the order of the batters that you're getting here right so i think one one good thing that works across all showdown slates is build a cash lineup where the sliders are on zero zero and then this will just give you an idea of what a traditional optimizer optimizing based on mean projection is going to spit out and then this will give you some intuition about who are the most popular captains what are the most popular stack types and constructions and what team is being favored here. So when we build this cash lineup, uh, we can see that David Peterson is like far and away the most popular captain here, right? So then boom, that's one piece of information that you can now leverage in the post bill. It's like, okay, uh, noted David Peterson is probably going to be the, the most owned captain far and away, maybe even higher than the 30% that we're estimating at the moment here. And then what are the most popular stack types? We're seeing a lot of five ones and four twos. And I bet you they're going to be in favor of of the Mets here, right? So we're seeing uh, a lot of five one Mets, a lot of four two Mets, and not not really a lot of balance builds here, right? So uh, noted there. So so heavy on the Mets and uh, Mets stack with a Mets pitcher captain. So I think I think that's great information to have, right? So then now when I go to the post build, I'm going to run my actual build. And I'm going to make sure my sliders on 0, 10. Boom, all good here. And then I'm going to generate this. And then I'm going to make a note here. Uh, New York Met pitcher captain. New York Met 5-1 and 4-2 stacks. So heavy on the Mets here. All right. So now I'm in the post build here. Uh, we are actually pretty far away from David Peterson captains here, even though he is our most owned captain um, or like pool exposed captain. We're, we're, we're saying that we want to kind of get away from him. Right. I, I would still even in showdown kind of work right to left here. And I'm not going to do too much on many uniques here, but I am going to go and look at my stack types, going to go and look at my team stacks. I like to come in here. Let's say if I want to uh, get different from the field here, what I, what I like to do is come in here and basically match my stack pool exposures. So uh, Washington is showing up at about 10% of Sims. 
at 5-1. We know this is a construction that the field is really not going to play or or doesn't want to play if you're using a traditional optimizer. So I'm not going to get crazy here, but I'm going to come in and I'm going to match Washington stack pool exposure for these stack types that I wasn't seeing here, right? And then if, I, if I'm somewhere in between, I might just kind of lean opposite here. Uh, I like this. I like how many three threes we're getting. We're matching our pool exposure on Washington four stacks, Washington five stacks, which we know the field doesn't want to play here. And then once I get into my captains here, you know, Dave Peterson is like kind of interesting here. Um, he, he was like far and away the best captain. I, I think it's okay to fade him here with him showing up in about 15% of the pool in about 30%. Or even we we might even think he comes up more often and then take take some shots on some of these hitters. Um, maybe maybe all it takes is you know one home run from from one of these guys to kind of get there uh, ahead of David Peterson here. So okay with the negative leverage on David Peterson at captain here, but um, it, for for me, I don't think I'm doing too much aside from that. Um, I'm I'm really trusting the game sims and these outputs that we're getting to that's why i'm kind of trying i'm, I'm leveraging the game so i'm saying hey you know saber sim is is giving me some washington five stacks washington four twos opposite of what cash and cash lineups are are looking like i want to leverage those i want to make sure i get to some of those so from from here you know aside from your relief pitcher work your your gl mean for duplication work um i think this is a sound mlb showdown process and i would be happy to, to play the lineups that come from here so uh, just trying to add a little bit of value, not trying to be too hands-on, uh, really just trying to leverage the game sims here. Uh, if there's any follow-up on that question, just let me know, Kyle. But I'm going to jump over to Daniel's question here. It said, hey, I'm having some issues with baseball recently. I'm diversifying my lineup portfolio, and I'm using the lineup rules for home run percentage and trying to follow the process, but no luck. Any other tips here? Uh, okay, so let's go back to MLB Classic slates here. Go back to this main slate. And so, 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 so far, basically what, what I'm getting is that, uh, you have this rule active where, you know, you want to, um, use this like a uh, rule where it's basically like, Hey, if a home player has a low home run expectation, use them in a stack. I think that's a fine rule. That doesn't mean that's going to happen in, in every, every single lineup that's generated. Right. Uh, what you can also do is if you want to see how many players are part of this rule, you could save it as a, um, actually no it'll save it for each individual team uh so you can see where that threshold is and then if you are on the pro plan you can come in here to all batters and then you can sort by home runs and then you can see you know how how many um batters are, are kind of below that threshold here right and what i'm going to do is just add a filter for batters basically any projected batters like over uh four implied fantasy points so just don't want to see those coming up. So so really, our rule is applying to everybody uh, from from William Contreras down here, and um, I would say that's maybe less than half of players here. So I'm just looking at where like my scroll wheel is here. So that that's probably in like the um, thirty to forty percent, like bottom percentile here uh, if you wanted to see you know how many players were actually a part of this rule what you could do is you could download their projections and then filter for home runs and then do like a count of of how many players are below that number but not going to get that in depth here 
Uh, just wanted to see how many players that might be applying to here. Um, but but from here, you know, like, like I said, a lot of your work is really going to come in the post build here. So glad to see that you are doing that. Um, if, if you want to add something to your MLB process here, aside from applying that one rule, aside from applying many uniques um, and not doing too much else, I think that you could probably get some good use out of running a research build here. Uh, this was like another topic that we kind of all went back and forth on on our roundtable discussion. Uh, but if I think if, if you if you're looking to add something here, you know, running running a research build or a test build of sorts, I think is a is a good option here. So I like to do something where I'm running like a zero nine build for uh, pitchers, where I don't want uh, batter correlations to really affect some of the pitcher exposures that I'm getting on the other side. And then I like to run this like secondary build where I put correlation at about like half of whatever value that it's at where uh, correlation isn't having a super big impact on the stacks that are coming up, but it's still having some impact, still accounting for some of the correlation here. And then I want to see kind of what teams are still popping even at these modified correlation values, looking at um, pool exposures mostly here and trying to do some additional research to figure out what teams uh, might be sneakily good here or, or that I might, might want to get some additional exposure to also helps me to uh, figure out if I want to be on the chalk or not. We had a discussion last week about, you know, all chalk isn't bad chalk. All chalk isn't good chalk. Chalk can be good. Chalk can be bad. You never want to just blanket fade chalk or be under the field on chalk because sometimes it's warranted. Sometimes those are the best plays on the slate and it is okay to match the field or even um, play more than the field in, in some cases here. Right. So um, I think running a research build of, of sorts can give you some ideas about the slate in general from that point of view. All right, question from Austin. Said, is playing 300 unique lineups in two 150 maxes optimal or should I be playing the best 150 in both? Uh, so so really not a wrong or right answer here. I think, uh, you know, just be careful using like the word optimal here. Uh, so so basically what you're doing is, is you are basically sacrificing, you know, some of the EV from the top of the lineups for, for bring, being more spread out, getting to a wider number of lineups here. Uh, the good thing about this is that, you know, if you are somebody who is trying to build a strong pool of lineups, playing more lineups from your pool is only going to help you get more of those actual scores uh, from the pool into your contest that you play. So sometimes people come on the show like, hey, you know, I'm playing like three or four 20 maxes. I have some really good lineups in my pool. They're not getting into my contest. First thing I say is, you know, play play more lineups, right? So if if you're if you're noticing that that you're having a strong pool of lineups, often playing more lineups from the pool is only going to help you realize some of that equity faster, right? So so that's one of the good things that you do. You get a little more spread out. Um, the the only thing that that doesn't really happen in this instance is like when you have a really good lineup in your top set, um, that lineup does not take down multiple contests here. So I think that um, I, I'm a proponent of probably, or I'll just tell you guys what I do. So, so I like to look at the payouts for different contests that I'm playing and then figure out, you know, how many of these contests do I care about winning first? And then I will note how many unique entries are across those contests and play, play that number of unique lineups. So for instance, let's say that I'm playing the $4.20 max, the 25 cent 20 max, and then I'm pay, playing two dime times. Um, let's say that, you know, I don't really care to win the dime times. It's like $10 to first, we'll say I'm playing the smaller dime times, but the 25 cent is like 500 to first, 
the $4.20 max is a couple thousand to first, right? So I want to win either the $4.20 max or the 25 cent 20 max. I really don't care to win the dime times, but I want the additional action under the $3 range, right? So what I would do in that instance is I would build 40 unique lineups where 20 are going into the 25 cent 20 max, 20 are going into the $4.20 max, and then the 40 lineups are just being duplicated into the two 10 cent 20 max dime time contests. So that's the lens that I like to approach it from. Um, I, I would, uh, you know, question or um, suggest that you you look at your contest selection portfolio and then maybe uh, figure out how many lines you want to build based on something similar to that. But I think that's a good framework overall. All right. Um, really quick, uh, Kyle said, thank you. Explained perfectly. Uh, yeah, man, happy happy to give you a, a good answer here on the show. Uh, Jay Sam Jr. said, is it a good idea to target batters lower in the batting order? Do those players have the same high upside as the batters in the top of the order? So really good question here. Um, I think that, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of playing all batters from a team from the chalkiest teams. Um, Sabersim is going to give you a good mix of stacks because we are randomly sampling the Sims. So there'll be Sims where, you know, some of the bottom order guys do good and you get this mix of Sims, you know, you're not always going to get these like one through five batter stacks using Sabersim. I think that that happens very naturally here. Uh, what we can do is we can go into this build every ran and then we could, we can look at some of these top stacks, right? So I'm looking at, um, Arizona here, we have a two, three, four, five, seven Arizona stack. Then we have a Seattle stack of one, three, four, five, six. And then we have a red stack of one, two, three, five, nine with, with uh, Matt McClain there. So correlation is going to play a part of this. And then um, the Sims that we pull are also going to play a part in this here, right? So uh, if you click on any individual batter here, you can see their correlations to the other batters in the lineup. And usually it's going to be the batters, you know, uh, kind of kind of one away from them. So if Fraley's number two, you're going to see um, correlation to the number one batter, the number three batter, the number nine batter, the number four batter here, right? And um, that's just something that I've, I've generally seen here. I don't know what order these players are in, but but it, that's what it looks like here to me. Uh, so so correlation is going to be important, but if 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 we have a team here, right, where at at you know maybe I'm using Nomen Uniques. Uh, maybe I'm just letting the builder get to as much of this team as I want. Let's say that, you know, the builder was naturally giving me like 75% Seattle here. Uh, something that I like to do is come into the players tab, sort by team here, and then I'm going to go to Seattle. And then I'm going to make sure that my Seattle exposure is spread out. So what I want to do is go, or actually I can just search in the team bar. So in the, in the, in the search bar, just search Seattle. So SEA here. And what I'm going to see is, okay, uh, how much exposure do I have to all these players here, right? So Ty France, 50% batting second, Colton Wong, 10% batting ninth. I also kind of want to look at how much pool exposure I have here. We have the four batter at 40%, number six batter at 40%, Raleigh at 55, Kellenick at 70. We have zero Taylor Trammell. And then we have 70% to the one hitter, 30% to the seven hitter here. So, so to me, if I have 75% Seattle stacks, I think having 70% of a batter when 
that batter's only used in 21% of the pool lineups is probably too much for me, right? I think that, you know, I want to force the builder to come up with some different combinations here. So I might drop this down to like 50% saying, hey, you know, I have 75% uh, lineups with Seattle. Do not use a player in more than two thirds of those lineups. Go and find other combinations of this team here. And then I might increase my exposure to all batters and say, hey, at least use 10% of each batter in the lineup and just, just, just try and get more spread out here. Right. So Colton Wong goes up to 15. Uh, I know that I'm not playing 50% or more than any batter. So, so now I'm a little more spread out and then I'm still getting to all of that Seattle stacks here. Right. But just doing it a little bit differently here. So, so this is one way to um, try and spread yourself out here as opposed to, uh, you know, just playing the same, type of construction where I'm always playing JP Crawford and Raleigh and Kellenic. Um, now I'm getting a little more spread out and playing a, a better array of Seattle players because uh, I'm, I'm mostly looking at this. I'm mostly looking at all the players as an individual team, as opposed to individual batters here. Okay. Uh, next question here. Jay Sam Jr. Had a follow-up said also, how can you know if, if you set a rule for players to hit at least one home run, how would you know if you got those players once the Sims run? Okay, so I think the question here is, uh, hey, I'm, I'm using this rule from one-offs. How do I know if it's working, right? And I, I, what I would say is go and find a player from, from – you're basically just going to have to kind of test this out, but go and find a player under that home run expectation, with which we said was like the bottom third here. And then just just write them down. So so maybe it's like Bobby Witt Jr. and Colton Wong. Okay, so so we'll look at this lineup for each of these guys here. So I have this Bobby Witt Jr. lineup and Colton Wong. And then I'm going to run a build. And then in the post build, I, I don't know if we ran it with this one build here. I think we were just running it with the stack rule. But if I, but if I were to want to check this, what I would do is then I would come into these lineups and then I would search for that player's name. And then I'm going to say wit here, right? So then in the lineups in my pool that have wit, which is only three. So maybe we could use Wong here. Cause I think Wong was coming up more on those Seattle stacks. So, so I have Colton Wong here and a little more pool lineup. So better, better mix here. What I would do is use the magnifying glasses. This is going to extract all the lineups that this player is in. And then you can come over here and then you could see how many lineups have this player and what the stack types are. So then, so watch. So if I turn Colton Wong off, it's going to show me um, all of the stack types for all the lineups. And you can see these pool numbers. So I have 249 five threes, 175 five twos. When I filter for Colton Wong, these numbers are going to update. When I use this magnifying glass, instead of that 249, 175, those numbers go down and saying, hey, I only have 15% of five, three Colton Wongs or 15 lineups with five, three Colton Wongs. I have one lineup where Colton Wong is in a five, one, one, one stack. And then I have 11 lineups where Colton Wong is in a five, two stack here. Right. And then I could even filter further. It's like, okay, Hey, show me the five, one. And he's actually used as a one-off in this individual lineup here. So um, th this is how I would spot check it. This is how I would figure out if it was working. So I'm pretty sure we ran these lineups with that rule off here, but I would run it with it on and then, uh, you know, take like a 
random test of a random player and then see if that lineup, if that rule is working the way that you intended for it to work. Daniel said, and also do you have to have a lineup rule for the home run expectancy and have three players with that player if it's below 10%. So, so this is just a rule to kind of manage your one-offs here. Uh, basically there, there is like, um, some, some, a general DFS heuristic that, uh, if you're playing a one-off, you want that player to have the ability to not need other players from his team to do good for that player to do good. So, so for instance, let's say that, you know, you're playing one of these guys who has a lower home run expectation. Uh, how is that player going to score fantasy points? That player is going to get on base. That player is going to have, uh, other players on his team drive that player in or that player is going to hit RBIs. And, and what happens in, in that type of scoring environment is that other players on the team do good as well. So uh, you almost don't want to play that player if he's not stacked, right? But if you take these big power hitters, right, um, Pete Alonso might hit one, two home runs where the rest of his team really didn't do that much. Pete Alonso can get there on his own because he's a big bat uh, with, with a higher uh, home run expectation in the Sims here, right? So that's kind of what people are doing. It's a way of uh, curating your kind of one-off pool here and making sure that if these players that uh, thrive in these team game environments are used, they are used in 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 a stack and not as one-offs. So that is kind of what the rule is trying to do here. Uh, it is not, you know, a rule you have to use. I think it is a safe rule we talk about you know people come on the show like hey what is a rule that i can implement for x sport here and like in nba it's you know a general good rule is uh you know for mid-season nba is don't use more than three players from a team um there are exceptions to that rule i think that for this rule it's like hey you know what is a good baseline rule for mlb i think this is a good baseline mlb rule here that i would suggest for somebody wanting to start to experiment with rules here Shane said, any merit to setting team stack exposures closer to team stack pool exposures? Example, Philly team stacks are in 70% of build lineups, but only 35% of pool stack exposure of 5,000 here. So I think this is a good question. Um, I would say that, you know, I think it's a good sanity check, these these pool exposure columns here. And I the reason I say that is because, you know, SaberSim, what SaberSim is going to do is it is going to push to the top of the pool, the lineups that it perceives to be highest approximate expected value here, right? That is what Sabre score is trying to do. So Sabre Sim in and of itself does not understand risk management here. So I think that a good sanity check, a good risk management step that you can take is, okay, you know, Sabre Sim is saying that this team is um, a really good play by themselves, but overall in the entire pool, um, this team is used much, much less. And there are other teams with a higher pool exposure that are, that I am playing at a lower frequency here. And that could be due to ownership that could be due to upside, et cetera here. Um, but I, but I, I think it's a good note for you to make and figure out if you are comfortable with that number. So, so for me, I, I like to be a little bit closer to that number, but the way I get there is a little differently. I get there by increasing mini uniques. And then I also get there by adjusting um, kind of like a, what, what percent exposure I want to any one hitter here. So like when I'm building 150 lineups, I might come in here and, and do like a blanket global exposure of 50, 40%, depending on 
the, the day here and say, hey, that um, you know, by by doing that, I'm trying to force Sabersim to come up with these alternate ways of stacking a team where it can keep the stack exposure whatever it wants, but it is not going to play one individual batter in all of those stacks and saying, hey, you can play 50% of Seattle, that's fine, but make sure that you don't use any more than um, I don't know, seven out of 10 lineups have the same player. And I might even drop that number for, for 20 lineups here and say, you know, get more spread out there. There have to be better stacks uh, uh, that, that have close EV that don't use so much of that one player where all of my lineups are kind of centered around that one piece. And with baseball being so variant, you know, I'm not super comfortable with that much individual player batter exposure here, but I definitely value this stack pool exposure column here. And we'll use it to make decisions on my own personal lineup portfolio. All right. Uh, getting to the end of the questions here. If anybody has any last questions, now's a great time to get them in. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Looks like viewer count is up. Uh, nice long stream for a Monday. So we're going to be uh, hitting these questions here from Noah and then see what happens from there. So Noah said, hey, any way to see the Sims model for pga very interesting if it shows balance builds versus very top heavy the second question do the sims do tiers for mlb i was checking out tiers and realized how hard each tier is uh so first question is that or i'm gonna answer this first second question first is that we do not support tiers at the moment definitely something that has been requested in the past here um it it is on our roadmap to support in the future, we have some bigger projects in the works that we're really excited about that are taking precedent over those. But I can note it as a feature request here, uh, support for tiers, and just let the team know that people are asking about it here. So uh, happy to take that one back to the team. And then to get back to your first question, uh, anybody see the Sims model for PGA? So, so if you're interested in some of the outputs that come from the Sims here, uh, if you're on the pro plan or one of our grandfather plans, you can see some of this uh, data here. And we don't have Sims up for this week yet, but I'm going to go back to last week's tournament, which was the AT&T tournament on May 18th. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, okay, so so it looks like we have – actually, these are our initial Sims for, for this upcoming week here. Looks like they ran – uh, over here on the right, what you can see is you can see the players' percentiles, and you can also see the individual stats, uh, the average number of eagles, the average number of birdies, um, pars, uh, bogeys, double bogeys, bogey three rounds, make cut percent, win percent. So, so all of this data that you see here is summary statistics from the sim. So let's say that we sim out the golf event, I don't know, 5,000 times, and then what we do is then we go and look. It's like, okay, uh, how many times did this player make the cut? And for John Rom, it's like John Rom made 91% of the cuts in all of our tournament sims here. And then that gets added to the app. How many of the tournament simulations did John Rom John Rom win? How many eagles did he shoot on average here? So we add up all the eagles that he made and then divide it by the number of times that we ran the tournament. And then we get to say, hey, you know, uh, John Rom made uh, approximately 0.62 eagles per sim here, and then that all gets summarized here. So if you're looking for like sim output information, this is the be best snapshot that you are going to get for that. All right, everybody. Uh, we hit all the questions from support, Discord, and the YouTube chat. A nice long show today. Thank you, everybody, 
for tuning in here. And uh, before we get out of here, just want to let you guys know that if you guys are not playing over on Owner's Box, make sure to take advantage of the DFS contest on this site. The contests continue to overlay. The contests are generally softer. A lot of the best players are not playing on over on Owner's Box yet. So that is a good opportunity for you to get in there and take advantage of those rake-free and even overlaid contests. If you use promo code SABER or SABERSIM, you can get a $500 deposit bonus. And we will track your entry fees and you can earn free SABERSIM credit for the standard plan, for the pro plan, and for the prop plan. Each time you cash in your credit uh, at these different tiers. We reset your uh, credit to zero and then you can re-earn free months. You can earn as many free months as you can. There is no limit on the amount of free months that you can earn. But uh, until tomorrow, everybody, good luck in your contest. Take care. If you guys are building lineups throughout the day, question pops in your head, drop it in the Office Hours channel. Let it sit there until tomorrow. Gets us a steady queue of questions to get started with. But until then, good luck in your contest. Take care. I will see you all. Thanks. Bye.